Welcome to the Monday edition of Unexpected Points. I'm going to go over everything week one odds, what it tells us about the matchups, our views of the teams this season, the rest of the stuff from the week. And someone is actually this time for the first time in a while going to get canceled on this episode of Unexpected Points. All right, you ready? You ready? Welcome to Unexpected Points. We are going to do something a little similar and a little different this summer. Now that we're into the dregs of the NFL season, we're going to do bring back a lot of interviews during this part of the season. Uh, starting next week with Sean Clement, who worked in analytics departments with the Ravens and also with the Dolphins, bringing in other analytical people from within the NFL or outside the NFL. They're doing a lot of work there. And that's going to be the the tempo during the offseason. A Monday afternoon-ish taping wrap-up on what's going on for the week or what news dropped on Monday morning, and then a Wednesday interview with a thinker, someone who I respect out there in the industry that I think that everyone can benefit from as far as that's concerned. And what also is going to happen is that I'm going to be discussing some different fantasy football points throughout the summer, some different betting things throughout the summer. Specifically this week, I'm going to get into the week one NFL odds that have come out now. There are some futures also on other odds, and you've been able to derive a power ranking type of formula for teams. And I'm going to compare that to the power rankings that I had at the end of last season to figure which teams have moved the most in people's minds. And I'm also going to keep in mind some teams I think may be undervalued because of addition by subtraction. In other words, potentially losing out on having the same quarterback, but that being a good thing for those teams because of how poorly they performed last season. Those quarterbacks performed last season. But before we get to anything, our lead presenting sponsor here for Unexpected Points is Underdog Fantasy. For those who play best ball, I'm one of those. I'm going to try to participate in a PFF best ball draft on Underdog tomorrow. If not tomorrow, then I'll be on another one of these Tuesday streams that we're doing there. The best place to play fantasy football this summer is Underdog Fantasy. Uh, their best ball mania tournament, $10 million in total prize money. That has really skyrocketed. I mean, they've been making a bunch of hires over there. I've seen they've brought in Josh Norris and a bunch of people to, to work on the content side there. And what's really great about this, of course, is there's no waivers, no trades, no in-season management. It gives you a real opportunity to predict outcomes early in the season with actual money behind it against other individuals who have stake who are engaged, who aren't just throwing around takes that you're going to hear all over the place this summer. This is people putting their hard-earned money on the line, and you'll see whether or not your predictions and opinions and strategies are better than anyone else's. And of course, there's a ton of content out there on the best ball format that you can check out. Uh, so the champion of the best ball mania last year drafted in June. So there's drafting early can be very, very good. 
uh, you're going to want to have a unique lineup. And the more unique lineup you can get now versus later in the summer when more and more people are drafting and more and more people um, are going to have similar players and combinations because of the movement that's going to happen this summer. So Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100 when you sign up with promo code PFF. Also, if you play 10 of those dollars using promo code PFF, you get a free PFF subscription. So what else are you waiting for? Head to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store. Play $10 with code PFF and draft your best ball mania team today. Get in on that. All right, let's get into, first I'm going to hit quickly some some storylines for the week. There isn't a lot going on here. I was looking through Peter King's Football Morning in America column, and it's desolate. Uh, But we did get some Monday morning news here, news drop uh, in a good way. Players getting paid. Uh, Jair Alexander got the newest incremental increase in the cornerback market after what we saw from Denzel Ward earlier this season. He signs a four-year, $84 million contract extension. So let's get down to the details, though. If you want to just look at it from a headline perspective, that's four years, that's $84 million. So you do the quick math on that, $21 million per year, which is slightly better than what we saw for the five-year contract for Denzel Ward, which was, I think it's 20.1 million. And then it was 20 million before with Jalen Ramsey. So a little bit more of an increase, incremental increase than what we saw off of Jalen Ramsey's contract. But remember, Ramsey's contract was from two off seasons ago. So the fact that these contracts are barely surpassing that also gives an idea that Ramsey's deal, you know, where Ramsey sits now is the clear defined cornerback one of the market. But I don't think Alexander is that far behind in people's perception. Then there are some details to this, I think, which makes it a better deal for him as a player, but it also hints to what I talked about with the Ward deal because of the fact that Denzel Ward was the fourth player selected in the 2018 draft and Jair Alexander was the 18th player selected in the 2018 draft that I think in most people's minds, I could be wrong about this, but I think in most people's minds, there's a better argument for Jair Alexander being right in that tier below Jalen Ramsey in a tier by himself, right in that next tier with a few guys uh, who could all be competing for the second best cornerback in the NFL. And I think Denzel Ward is a little bit, little bit below uh, a few of those guys, in my opinion. I mean, it's close. There's probably less of a gap between that second tier and the third tier with Denzel Ward than there is between the second tier and Jalen Ramsey on top. But, you know, I think it came through in this contract, especially coming off a year where he was injured. He only played four games last year, Jair Alexander. The fact that he still got this big deal, which was clearly better than Denzel Ward's deal, despite the fact that he was taken much later in the NFL draft, that um, he's viewed that way as being as being incrementally better maybe even a tier higher than Denzel Ward. Uh, the details of this thing, we want to talk about here, how how there's difference here. So this is where it really makes a difference on how players are not only structured as being a year shorter and a little bit more per year, but how it's structured as far as the cash flow is concerned. You know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush, right? You want that money now as quickly as possible. That is a huge motivation for these players to do these deals also, uh, not play out some of these things as long as possible, not end up hitting free agency where you're just going to get that those bigger numbers on a franchise tag uh, and eventually a bigger number in free agency. But you're playing it out season by season here, whereas getting that getting that 
additional money up front is worth more in a way. So it's like you're getting a better deal than what the optics are in the contract if you're getting more and more money up front. So Jair Alexander is going to get $30 million signing bonus right now. He's going to make $1 million in salary, which is kind of what they're doing with everyone before. There was this big hubbub about Deshaun Watson and only giving him $1 million in the first year. Well, tons of teams are doing this because it lowers their, their cap hit as far as you can do it for this particular this particular season. Whereas Ward basically got $21 million. He got a $20 million signing bonus, and he was also making $1 million in that first year. So Alexander's going to have about $10 million more over the first 12 months. Well, not even 12 months. Over the first... 10-ish sort of months. And then in March of next year, um, Alexander is going to get a roster bonus of $11.5 million. Now, the gap is is closed a little bit for that, that next year thing because Ward is going to, as part of his deal, he gets a $18.4 million option bonus in, in his second year of his contract. So that closes the gap a little bit. So it's more like $45 million over the course of two full season, two full years for um, Alexander versus 43 million for Ward. So it's pretty close to being even. And then if we extend it out through year three, 61 million for Alexander is how much he's going to bring in those first three years, about 60, 59 million for Ward. So very, very close. So better deal for Alexander gets the money up front, hits free agency at 29, as opposed to, um, Ward having an extra year on the deal and hitting free agency at 30. I don't know whether these guys will be able to cash in um, as, as older players in the market, but they're about the same age. Alexander's a little bit older than Ward, both very young players. Um, but again, Ward is very, very close on this. I think getting the equity from being that top five pick and Denzel Ward has per game roster bonuses of about 600 K in 2023 and 2024. So if he plays all those different games, I think it's going to push him slightly above where Jair Alexander's contract is. So for the Packers, I like this deal because I, again, put Alexander in a different tier as a player. If we look at their peaks that they've had, according to our numbers in our PFF war calculation, uh, it's been roughly similar through the four years, but Alexander's 2020 was a peak season. He was the top player of any cornerback, according to our war calculation, bringing in almost nine-tenths of a win, whereas Ward's best season has been around four or five tenths of a win and wars tops war wards top season denzel wards top season as part of pff war has been you know fringe top 10 inside of that top 10 between seven and 10 a couple of different times whereas alexander was number one in our war number he was also if you want to count awards for the nfl which i think are important in establishing what people feel about him in the all pro voting where the AP voters have, you know, the 50 AP voters on there, he was a second team all pro in 2020. So it's probably more of an argument to be made that Alexander is truly an elite player versus Denzel Ward. And he gets paid slightly more for it, but again, not as big of a gap as maybe is appropriate. So I like this deal for the Packers even more than I probably like the Denzel Ward deal for the Browns. Um, A couple of other things news wise that happened just today that we can have some, some discussion here. One of them is that the Vikings are now hiring the 49ers director of research and development, Demetrius Washington as their new VP of football operations. 
So Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, he was basically the same title, the director of research and development with the 49ers before he came to the Browns, where he wasn't officially assistant GM, but that's kind of what he was to Andrew Barry. I think he may have been VP of uh, football operations or something like that. Uh, so Kwesi is, is bringing him in in a similar sort of role as VP of football operations, the same sort of role that he had with the Browns, setting Washington up as potentially being a guy who's going to get into the cycle of uh, GM interviews, maybe not next offseason, maybe a couple offseasons down the road, but he is going forward in there, which is really good to see because we want to see more and more of this pipeline being filled with some of the analytics, quote unquote, analytics guys. So let's look at his background here. Um, Let's look at Demetrius Washington. I had this up earlier. Sorry, I forgot to keep it up here. So his his information here for uh, what he's been doing with um, the 49ers again. So he is the research guy there. So he's moving up for, for that sort of level. Unfortunately, he does not have much bio information here um, when it comes to what, what he's been doing there with the um with the 49ers but if you bring up some of his information there it looks like he had done some some scouting in the past and he had also worked on a lot of these research projects there uh dofamens has some very high praise for him so i think it'll be interesting to see him him coming in there and you know, I don't want to lean too far into this but I do think if we're talking about the problems with diversity within the NFL this isn't going to really affect the coaching side of things as much, but when it affects the front offices, I think that these research positions, analytics positions, skewing towards that, building out those sort of departments, I think it's brought in a lot of different voices who now have a legitimate shot at moving up the ranks within these organizations. And it's not just bringing in different voices like we've seen uh, different women who are working within the um, the front offices there. There was uh, Namita Nandakundar who worked for the Philadelphia Eagles and is now working for the Kraken, a uh, hockey team in Seattle. There's Sarah Bailey, who I want to get on the podcast this summer. We'll see if it happens. Uh, who's working with the Rams, who's working in more of an analytical capacity. And there are, there are a handful of others throughout throughout the league. But even beyond that, if you look at the GMs who have been hired in recent cycles, black GMs who have been hired, uh, starting with Sashi Brown, who isn't really an analytics guy, but he was a lawyer and he came from that sort of side of thinking as opposed to the scouting side of thinking. So, so you have him, you have Andrew Barry, who was a traditional scout, but again, he had that path through working with more of the analytical front offices, the Browns and the Eagles. When he came, when he came through there, you have Adolfo Mensa now who's coming through with the, uh, with the Vikings. So you are getting more and more hires on this. And I think here, Demetrius Washington, also uh, also uh, a black man, is coming through here where hopefully he has a, has a way to get in here. So I do think that, you know, that like people would ne- wouldn't necessarily think of going outside of scouting as being a way to diversify, uh, racially diversify the the talent pool there. But I think the old boys network is 
much stronger within the scouting pipeline to eventually lead up to become a GM than it is within the analytics and the research pipeline where people can eventually go in, in that area. And, you know, there, there are many others who are working in the NFL now um, of Asian descent, of other descent, who are working within the research side of things. The, the, um, the Colts have a couple of gentlemen there who are working there. Uh, the Jaguars have a head, head of their research is also Asian. So it, it's really is bringing in, I think, some good diversity into the ranks. And this is another potential stepping stone to move in, in that direction. Now, the 49ers have also become, in a way, a little bit of a GM tree-ish sort of thing going on here. Of course, Adolfo Mensa coming from the 49ers. Uh, Demetrius Washington now is put into that category where maybe he can move forward and go there. And the Jaguars also announced today that they officially hired uh, Ethan Waugh. I believe it's I believe it's pronounced Waugh. It's W-A-U-G-H, who's going to be assistant GM of the Jaguars from the 49ers. Doesn't quite fit the same category as far as an analytical guy. He did some operations work there, but it was something that was expected and now finalized. I guess the question mark there for him is the fact that I'm not sure if he's an ally of Trent Balky's because they overlapped for about 12 different years in San Francisco before he came over there. But maybe San Francisco has become a bit of an organization that is leading and then sending people off to do some good uh, high level stuff in other places. Okay, a couple other little news things before we get into the week one schedule here. And number one, let me give you some good takes here that you can use for the for the topics of of the week. Tom Brady, I didn't discuss his his thirty seven point five million dollar contract beyond whether or not it was a good investment. I discussed as part of a mailbag question last week where I said, eh, it's not not a bad investment since they're it's like less than one half of 1% of the money that these teams are spending. I mean, that these networks are spending uh, to get the rights to these games. But the whole take of him wanting to get away from his family seems kind of ridiculous. I mean, I know these guys work hard. Okay. I'm not saying the boss, Chris Collinsworth and other NFL analysts don't have to work hard and they do work hard during the season, but this is going to be nothing like being a football player, especially in the off season which I think is the important part, part here. And as far as a takeaway for what this means, this announcement, I would be, and I could be wrong on this, maybe Tom Brady's playing at a super high level and he can't walk away, but I would be almost shocked if he did not retire after this season because he got a little bit of a lease from a little bit more rope on that leash from Giselle to come back for one more year. He was so good last year where I don't think he's be better than he was last year. He was, you know, the number one guy for PFF passing grade. All of that coming back. I just don't see it happening again, especially when on the table he could leave football, have his summers fairly free, spend time with his with his family, have a, a happy home front, and make more money at doing the doing the analysis work for Fox. And have less of a of a commitment. Yeah, some traveling during the season, all that stuff's going to happen, but it's still going to be very much a step back his commitment versus what he's going to do as a player. So uh, that's my take for Tom Brady. I, I think he's done after this year, but then again, he's been he, you know we've been calling uh, for his demise for a decade, and it hasn't been uh, it hasn't been happening. Number two, Drew Brees tweeting out about it. Sounds like it was kind of a uh, mutual 
disinterest maybe between Breeze and NBC in the fact that Breeze wanted to do more games versus being a studio guy, NBC not ready to turn that over to him. His whole thing of maybe I'll come back and play. He's not coming back to play, people. Let's not waste any breath or anything to talk about that. There's there's no spot for him to come back and play. Uh, I think he knows things are done. No one's going to be beating down the doors for Drew Brees this year, but maybe he'll get a chance to do some announcing somewhere else. So we don't really need to talk about the Drew Brees thing that much. And a couple of little signings. The Saints, I got to tip my cap to the fact that despite that people were incensed by Ben Baldwin and I having them, that front office down near the bottom of our rankings, they just don't know when to quit. And they bring in Honey Badger and now they bring in Jarvis Landry. Although I, I really like the Landry deal. They're barely paying him anything. I thought it was funny that Landry, well, funny, I shouldn't say, but, uh, you know, Landry fired his agent for the fact that the Browns wanted him to take less money, that they couldn't find a trade partner for him on this contract where he was going to make 16, 15, 16 million dollars a year. And now he's signing for basically three million dollars a year with some incentives. So much, much less there. Maybe there just wasn't that big of a market for Landry. So the Saints adding a couple of pieces. They're going for it. They are still going for it. The markets aren't quite buying on them, but I do think it's interesting about the just continual going back in, going back in, going back in from the Saints. Okay, lastly, before I get to week one lines, everything that's going on there, I am bringing back cancellations. And for this one, I'm going to play you first a clip. It's a little choppy, the clip, because it was just filmed on a cell phone in the middle of, uh, I guess, barstool offices, where Taylor Luan the uh, offensive tackle for the Titans comes in and he's having a discussion with, I don't know all these dudes, these barstool dudes, these stooly guys. He's having a discussion with one of these guys who is a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And that fan is trying to explain is disagreeing with Luan's assessment that miles Garrett is the, the best defensive player defensive end that he would have to face versus having to face TJ Watt. I don't think it's actually that controversial to say that, that Garrett is better, even though Watt won the defensive player of the year award, had more sacks, this and that, but this guy was having a problem with him. And as part of this discussion, PFF comes up as part of this discussion. It does not sound like uh, Taylor Lewan is much of a fan of PFF. And he talks about something on here, which really, which really piqued my interest. I'm going to play it here and then I'll repeat what was being said in case you, you can't really hear it that well. You probably look at PFF a lot. You probably love PFF. Probably, exactly. Here's the issue. And then listen, I hate that I'm watching this building for 20 minutes in here. I'm I know. Like it's this. sad. It's sad. PFF is a shame. It's, it's a complete liability. It's a complete lie. I just played it. Do you know, do you know those NFL football players that go and pay $50,000 a year to PFF so their numbers are inflated? I didn't know that. Okay. So in case you didn't hear what was being said there, uh, Luan says, you probably are into PFF. And he said, yeah. I'm a numbers guy. And then Luan says, well, you know, PFF is a sham. And he goes even further as to say, did you know that there are players who pay PFF $50,000 to, <laughs> to get better grades for we grade them better. And I was unaware of this. Maybe I'm just, uh, you know, talking, to, maybe there's a vast conspiracy theory going on here with Chris Collinsworth at the head of it, you know, below George Soros or something. Uh, about what's going on here at PFF. But let me tell you, if players believe that you can chip f 50 grand our way and get your, your grades up, um, you know, 
holler at me. Holler at me, guys. Uh, I will be happy to send you my my Venmo, my PayPal, my uh, undisclosed P.O. box. If you want to send some checks over here, uh, I can get into that system. I can't promise any results for you on being able to change anything around. But if you believe that's actually happening, NFL players, hey, it costs you a lot less than 50000 to send some stuff to me and maybe get or maybe not get any results. But I don't know. I don't know what's going on with, with Luan. I don't know where he heard this. And the fact that this is like one conversation that I've heard from him and he's bringing it up immediately just makes me think he must just be going everywhere and being like, hey, you know, 50 grand PFF, pay it, get it done, get those grades up. Everything else is happening there. So uh, thanks for doing some marketing for us, I guess. And again, if this is going on and I don't know about it, uh, I want to get in on this. So that's all I got to say. But in the meantime, for for taking on PFF, for taking on Chris, for taking on the whole organization, and and me by default with PFF in my handle, uh, Taylor Rowan, you are canceled. Sorry, you're canceled. All right, felt good to cancel somebody. It's been a while. It's been a while since I've done that. Okay, let's get into week one. But before we do, speaking of PFF, you can get 25% off any subscription right now with promo code unexpected. Get the locked article content, get the fantasy football rankings and projections, get the grades and other data there. I just wrote an article on a topic that I talked about last week. Matt Corral, 20 to 1. Offensive Rookie of the Year made the made the the case for him. So I'm gonna have a lot of locked article content this season that you're gonna end up seeing. You can get all of that. PFF promo code unexpected. All right, week one odds are out. That was the that was the beauty of the schedule release. I don't care about any of this other nonsense. Um, but I do care about getting this week one odds goodness here. And not only do we get the week one odds goodness, but then we get other futures plays here. And a friend of the show, Ben Baldwin, who was just in recently with me to uh, anger fan bases across the spectrum on our front office rankings. What he does is he takes the the numbers that we have for all these different uh, betting lines and he derives what they tell us as what a team's rankings are in and the point and by a point total too, where it is how much better this team would be than and than the average team on a neutral field. So for instance, I'll just start right at the top just to explain this to you. The Buffalo Bills are number one according to this. And according to these numbers that he's looking at for the first ever many weeks that we have going on here, I guess it's the entire season, but they get, you know, they start to whittle away. Later on as the season has a lot more uncertainty is based into it that the Buffalo Bills are 5.1 points better than an average team on a neutral field. And the worst team here is the Texans, who would be 5.8 points worse than any team on a neutral field. The first thing to mention about this is that the range here that we're talking about, positive 5 to negative 5, is much more narrow than what we will see once we get into the season and we have evidence of how good these teams actually are. You know, a lot of different dynamics change over the offseason, as well as we think team that ended hot last year will come right into this season and be hot, or a team that was really, really bad last year will come right into this season and be bad again. Lots of turnover in NFL rosters every single year. Lots of turnover in coaching. Lots of changes in scheduling how things go on. Lots of injury luck 
that can change season to season. So because of that, these are much more narrow, talking about there being less than an 11-point differential between the best team and the worst team, whereas at the end of the season last year, I mean, let me pull up some of these numbers that I had for the end of the season last year, not according to Ben's numbers, but according to numbers that I was looking at. Um, at the end of the season, it's more like the best team in the NFL is was about eight and a half, nine points better than what you would expect, which was the Buffalo and the Tampa Bay Bucks were up in that sort of area. Uh, and this was kind of a weak year last year, too, for the top teams. And the worst teams were about negative nine and a half, ten. So when you think about that, the difference there is about 19, 18, 19 points of differential to end the season when we know a lot more about these teams. And when we start the season, it's more like 11 points of differential. So a, a much more of a narrowing now and keep that in mind when we're talking about how these teams are different here. So when the numbers come through for week one, let's just start right with the uh, the kickoff game here. The kickoff game is the Buffalo Bills, the aforementioned Buffalo Bills against the L.A. Rams, where the Rams are one-point favorite at home against the Bills. And, of course, the Rams being at home means you derive that the Bills are a better team than the Rams. But the Bills, even at plus one now, are minus 115 there. So there's a little bit more of a lean in that direction than there is uh, for the Rams there. And the Rams are close. So the Rams are, according to the market, the third best team in the NFL with the Buccaneers in between. So we're talking about the best team in the NFL, the Bills, versus the third best team in the NFL, according to these market-derived numbers, and the Bucks in between. Last season, when I ended the season, I had Buffalo as the second-best team in the NFL, end of the regular season, second best team in the NFL behind the Bucks. very, very close. The Rams slightly after that. So there's a little bit more of a gap here between the Rams and the Bills than in my numbers last year, which makes me a little bit interested in the Rams. Although I do think that if you're talking about the stability of the quarterback play, while it's weird to say when we're talking about Josh Allen, a player who nerds like myself hated for his first two seasons, I think there's a lot more faith in his ability to continue the high level of play he had, especially the very, very high level of play that he had in the playoffs where he had an insane run in the playoffs. I mean, they scored a touchdown every single time they touched the ball against the Patriots. Then the next week they scored a touchdown almost every single time they touched the ball against the Chiefs. There's more faith that he will continue at that level than Matthew Stafford, who was right up number one in the NFL and EPA per play, but wasn't really sniffing any sort of consideration. Well, close to number one in the NFL for, for EPA per play. I shouldn't say that because I think Rodgers was number one, but he wasn't really sniffing anything, any consideration for MVP or being on that level of Allen. So I think Bills and Allen could be slightly overvalued maybe going into this, but it's close. And I'm not really going to quibble when we're between the threes when we're talking about these different numbers here for that kickoff game. But it's going to be a great, great game. Again, best team versus the third best team in the NFL to start the season, according to the power rankings based on betting markets. Um, let me just point out maybe some interesting ones. I don't know if I want to go through every single game here, but some interesting ones from my perspective. The first one that I think is kind of interesting is the San Francisco 49ers and the Chicago Bears. Interesting because the 49ers, what are they doing at quarterback? This offseason, my opinion has been that it's just a slow market for being able to trade away a quarterback, even a quarterback like Garoppolo, who I believe is league average-ish. Potentially better. 
in the right system. I mean, he's been much, much better than that results-wise than with the 49ers. That it's hard even to move on from a player like that, but especially when he's had these injury concerns that have made it difficult. And now the musical chairs have all been filled after the draft, after free agency. It's become harder and harder to do that. So I was more of the opinion that, you know, more like 95-5 type of odds split, that they were going to move on to Trey Lance it may be a 5% chance that they stick with Garoppolo for this season. Maybe 5% chance. Now, I just, you know, when there's smoke a little bit on what's being rumbled here, um, I'll hedge it again because of the difficulties of getting rid of someone like Baker Mayfield. Makes me think that it's just harder to trade away the quarterback. I'm not going to believe it until they, you know, pick up his contract for the for this season and he's not cut before the end of the season. Um, but the smoke around Lance, maybe not being the guy is pretty interesting. And the only reason I, there's a little bit more to that potentially is because, you know, Shanahan's big thing when he talked about needing to draft a quarterback was really the injury concerns when it came to, uh, Garoppolo. And if he's healthy, maybe he likes having Garoppolo there, but the larger point is six and a half points with Lance there. I'd probably be less confident in that six and a half. Uh, so I don't know what's being priced in there from Vegas's perspective on these two teams, because if you look at uh, where they ended the year last year in terms of my power rankings, the 49ers would have been in the top six-ish as far as what they were um, in their ranking. And then the Bears would have been in the middle of the 20s. But the problem with the Bears is they were better, you know, believe it or not. They were better with Andy Dalton. They had a better offense. He was more efficient playing there this year. So when we look at the market-derived numbers for this year, the 49ers are more closer to the middle of the pack. Um, They're at least 11th, according to their numbers here. And then the Bears are much further down here, and they're in the bottom seven, but still better than the Jaguars. Seems to be better than the Jaguars and the Jets, the Seahawks, the Jets. And um, the Panthers. So, well, we'll see how that concerns you. But I think that's interesting on who they're going to end up being the guy this year. And it looks like at least this number to me has some confidence that it might be Jimmy G going in there. Because six and a half is a decent amount of points on the road uh, for any team. Okay, Ravens, Jets, don't have a big opinion there. Four and a half points to the Ravens. They're going to be very, very healthy this year. Um, The Jets, well, healthier, I should say. I don't know if they're going to be healthy. They'll be healthier, and the Jets are just a huge, huge projection right now. This this one interests me. Commanders, our Washington Commanders. um, I don't know why I say our Washington Commanders, but they're they're four. They're four-point favorites at home against the Jaguars. The Jaguars were last year, again, this is when we talk about the narrowing of things. They ended the season, for me, being about an eight-and-a-half, nine-point nine points worse than an average team on a neutral field. And now the Jaguars are seen according to the market as being about four points worse than a, than a neutral and uh, any team on a neutral field. So, you know, you're not going to, you have additional players that they brought in. They spend a ton of money in free agency. They have the draft. They brought in additional players there, obviously you have Trevor Lawrence getting to his second year and so on and so forth. But I do think that the, the commanders might've gotten a little bit more of a bump out of, Wentz and what they've been building there than some think. I know that Taylor Heineke was fun to watch-ish 
for some people in how he played. He was like Brett Favre without the arm, but he was solidly a bottom five, six quarterback in the NFL where Wentz, I think gives you a little bit more there. So I'm interested there. That's not great to get this line at four above the three here for the commanders, but I think they might be it's a little disrespectful to, to the commanders here to, to see that, especially when the commanders, again, this was kind of a hyped team going into 2021 when we thought Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to be the quarterback there. And now we're pretty low on them, despite the fact that they've added a handful of pieces and should be healthier and having Wentz there uh, should be a bit of a, of an upgrade again, upgrade to league average quarterback play, but that could still be an important upgrade. Uh, Patriots plus three at the Dolphins. That was an interesting one because now they're seen as about being equivalent teams and the Dolphins fall into this category where again, Mike McDaniel is a new guy there, so he's not going to lose his job overnight. But Greer and others who have gone all in this offseason with the Tariq Hill trade, with bringing in a decent amount of free agents, still, if you look at where they stand, according to the market-derived power rankings, let me just add it up in my head here. That's six plus another seven, so that's 13, 14, 15. They're 16th here in the power rankings. So smack in the middle, an average team after kind of going all in ish on this season, all in adjacent on this season, all the money that they're spending and the draft picks they use for Tyreek Hill and everything else. It didn't move the needle a ton. They're not getting up into the level where the Broncos got a real defined big bump uh, from having Russell Wilson come in. There's not that bump, not that bump for the dolphins. And are they, are they an equal team to the Patriots? I don't know. I mean, the Patriots were definitely seen as being a better team and they kind of flamed out at the end of last year. So if anything, I'd be a little bit interested at the Patriots, the Patriots here, plus three, just a, a little more faith. They can get things together. Um, then the impact that Tyreek Hill and others will make while Tua is still there for the Dolphins. Uh, the Browns minus four, the Panthers. We have no idea what's going to go on with Deshaun Watson there. I was starting to hear some rumbling that, the NFL wasn't going to conclude its investigation in time, so he's going to, he might he might have a chance to play the whole year. But now, just recently, the exact opposite came out here, which was they said that the NFL is meeting with Watson in Texas this week. And the reporting on this, the little bit of the reporting on this that I've seen, uh, Lindsay Jones from The Athletic says that she has been told all along that Watson would be one of the last, if not the last, person interviewed as part of the league's investigation. So this meeting is a sign we are getting closer to some sort of resolution on the football questions. I mean, this makes the most sense to me. It makes the most sense to me from a PR standpoint for, for the NFL that they need Deshaun Watson. The first time that he's on the field, that he's coming off of having some sort of punishment. You can't have him starting week one and not having a punishment. And being like, is this guy, everyone talking about, is he going to play the entire year? Will there be no punishment? What's going to happen next off season? Everything else. I just, I think they have to figure out a way to wrap this up. Uh, even if it's an advance of whatever's going on with the civil suits, it'd be far advance of that, 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 that trial won't be going on until next year. The NFL has the ability to, you know, investigate and rule beforehand if they really, really want to. I think they may have to, in this circumstance, make sure the first time Deshaun Watson is taking the field as the starting quarterback for the Browns, it's not week one with the possibility that he makes it through the entire season 
without paying any sort of uh, penalty this season, um, I think it's more likely that the NFL really needs him to be coming in, you know, week four, week five, week seven, whenever it's going to end up being. And then that's the way they can play out the rest of the season. And if the results lay out that the Browns do really well this year, uh, they can at least point to the fact that he was suspended for a period of time, as opposed to if the results lay out that the Browns do really well this year and he never faced suspension until potentially in 2023, that's just going to look bad. Um, it's not going to play well to anyone. So they might just have to go ahead and rush forward on that. But anyway, they're still four point favorite at the Panthers. And um, eh, I don't know. I might like the Panthers there. If uh, Sean Watts is not going to be playing there, not a huge Jacoby Brissett fan. Let me tell you. And maybe my man, Matt Corral will already be starting week one. Eagles lions. I don't know. I'm a little ambivalent. I, I know he's ambivalent a lot on the lions here. Cause they're four point underdog at home against the Eagles. And everyone likes the lions. The lions haven't quite reached chargers status as far as the, the uh, the football elite, the football cognoscente, the football uh, Illuminati, all loving a particular team. But Dan Campbell, huge love fest for him in coach of the year markets. Uh, love fest for the Detroit Lions draft where they brought in Aiden Hutchinson and Jameson Williams. And uh, love fest for just what that team can do in a weakened NFC North this year. Eh, I don't know if I'm buying it quite yet i mean i think it is a little rich for the eagles to be more than a three-point uh favorite on the road but aj brown is like a top five non-quarterback type of player for me so i do think bringing him in there is interesting and what they're building there uh next saints three and a half point favorite at the falcons falcons are really going to be difficult to figure out because i don't think ritter is going to play early because i i think marcus mariota is pretty good quarterback he's not an nfl average quarterback probably worse than nfl average but that's not bad when you compare him to mitchell trubisky or sam darnold sam darnold's probably the worst starter in the nfl if he starts and mitchell trubisky is probably bottom five ish definitely bottom 10 um whereas Mariota could play like a league average as sort of quarterback i don't know behind that offensive line and i think the theory that ritter will play early for them has been highly influenced by people's expectation that Mariota somehow is just going to get injured immediately before he starts the season and maybe that will happen behind that offensive line but i'm not quite sure but the falcons are you know they, they we'll see what drake london does this year but if he can play well kyle pitts um tight end is a he had a thousand yards last year even though I mean, the Falcons had no one else to throw it to, but he did have a thousand yards. If he continues to move forward, maybe they can make a little bit of noise there. And, uh, but the saints have again, been pouring so much into this off season that I think that's about right. Three and a half for them. If they were, if we got down to three, I'd probably like the saints there, but this seems like an interesting one. Okay. Now, as far as shifting expectations, and I know Bengals fans already hate me from last year, but it is interesting that they are a six and a half point favorite at home against the Steelers. Now, it doesn't sound that big. You know, you're thinking, well, it's going to be Mitchell Trubisky or Kenny Pickett. Well, the thing is, in my quarterback rankings, my final quarterback rankings from last year, which accounted for grading and for EPA per play for quarterbacks, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger was the second worst in the NFL to Zach Wilson. So, you know, addition by subtraction here, Roethlisberger's gone. What is the probability that Pickett or Trubisky will be worse than like second worst quarterback in the NFL. I mean, it's possible they'll be worse than the second worst quarterback in the NFL, but I don't know about that. And the Steelers team 
played like I don't know. Let me let me pull them up. Where's where was my numbers last year? Uh, slightly worse than average team. They were slightly worse than average team last year. Uh, they kind of outperformed their their number, but the Bengals were only a slightly better than average team according according to my numbers. And I know they made the playoffs and then I'm sorry, they made the Super Bowl and everything else. So people were pretty high on them. They had a good off season, but how much they're going to flip there, we'll see. I think this would be a better number, maybe like three and a half, four. Versus six and a half, you don't get a ton of juice out of it, but it is above the six. So I think that's an interesting one just to just to watch as the season goes on. I don't know if I love it any particular play right now, just to watch to see where the Bengals actually show up as far as where they are this season. Because I think a lot of people think that they are a top top team in the NFL right now. They're at seventh according to these market derived rankings, and it, it kind of a tear down from the teams above them. Uh, so that'll be interesting t- to watch as as the season goes on here. Chiefs Cardinals, uh, Chiefs three point favorite at the Cardinals. I like to lean Chiefs here because while I know Tyreek Hill missing there is going to be felt, I think I'm always going to lean quarterback over. Uh, wide receiver when it comes to the impact in those different situations, and Patrick Mahomes is the best. Uh, number one guy, I think if anything, the Chiefs could get better quarterback play just off a natural regression here from Patrick Mahomes this season than what he did last season. And not that he was bad last season, but if you took, again, my final quarterback rankings here, Mahomes was second in EPA per play, but only 10th, only, oh, sorry, 15th in grading. So his grading really held him down there. He was kind of like 11th almost in, in these quarterback rankings because of the problems that he had there, but he's still number one in my go forward rankings. So for that reason, uh, whereas Kyler Murray is more like 10th in his go forward rankings, even though being potentially a little bit better last year in a combined ranking environment, um, I'm going to bet on Mahomes being the guy going forward and three, you know, he wish I was two and a half. I think I got bet up to three. I think it opened at two and a half. He wish he had it at two and a half, but we'll, we'll go ahead and take it there. Uh, Giants, Titans, Giants, one of the more interesting teams here, six and a half point dogs at the Titans Titans. We don't really know how that game is going to, how that passing game is going to function without AJ Brown. Although we did see a lot of passing game without AJ Brown and it was not pretty. Uh, we don't know if Robert Woods is going to be able to play anytime soon. And those are really, there are two guys there. The Giants, I don't know what to think. Uh, I know everyone's loves Brian Dable and, Maybe he'll be able to make that big of an impact, but I think Daniel Jones has shown us enough that he's not the guy. So I'm fine with six and a half there. Packers, one and a half point favorite at the Vikings. It's funny. You think that might be light, but that's kind of what we saw last year between these two teams and the Packers where I thought they were a little bit overvalued by a lot of people here, at least according to these market derived numbers. I think some people are very down on what they've done this off season and they are six according to these numbers. Below the, again, the Bills and the Bucks, kind of in the first tier, then Rams, Chargers, Chiefs, and Packers next. So, again, we're talking about the quarterback versus wide receiver thing. Yeah, I don't know. If if Rodgers didn't have that tough stretch in his career from 2017 to 2020, I'd be, be a little bit better, but... But whatever, it's the way it goes. I'm fine with this number where it is. And like I said, it's about where it was last year. Chargers four over the Raiders. Chargers, people are high on the Chargers, but I'm kind of high on the Chargers too. 
So I'm okay with that number. I think three and a half might be more appropriate, but I definitely don't see Devontae Adams moving things that much. Chargers being slightly better according to these market-derived team tiers than the than the Chiefs. I'm not buying that. Uh, I think they should probably be a little bit less, but it's interesting that they're right there with them at least this year. Bucks two and a half point favorite at the Cowboys. Yeah, this one is very interesting to me because I think the Bucks are certainly a better team. The Cowboys, I believe, because they lost some talent there, got worse. But Dak Prescott, for me, just something was wrong with them all year last year with his issues that he had, uh, with his throwing issues that he had. Even for week one, where he had a great game week one, he was not able to throw the ball very well. And that came through the entire rest of the season. So I do think they could be a little bit uh, turbocharged this year. Uh, losing Amari Cooper hurts. I don't think Jalen Tolbert is going to be able to come in as a third round pick and be that great there, but that Cowboys offense could be a little bit slept on. Again, they got worse on paper, but they could get better performances out of guys. The problem will more be on the defensive side of the ball where they were so reliant upon turnovers from, uh, you know, Trayvon Diggs, where they were so reliant upon this absurd rookie season from, Micah Parsons, like, are you still going to get that on the defensive side of the ball? I'm not sure, but I like what I believe will be a more consistent offensive effort this year. So I might, if that got up to three, I would like the Dallas Cowboys right there. But I think it's interesting to see that the Cowboys, again, as far as their ranking this season, they are below the Broncos, below the Colts, the Bengals, and the the Ravens this year. Not middle of the NFL, but we're talking about being 11th in the NFL right now. I think they could be a little bit better than that. I mean, they certainly have an easy schedule this year. So we'll we'll see what happens there. And then the last game, the Broncos and Seahawks. Broncos, four-point favorite in Seattle. I mean, geez, what's the, what, what the heck's going on with Seattle? I think Seattle has an outside chance of maybe getting Baker Mayfield. That would tighten this line a little bit for me uh, to want to, to to bet on them. The Broncos, I mean, they got players on there, but they don't have superstar talent as far as their receiving core. And I think they may not let Russ cooketh as much as some other people think. And I think that they might be a little bit longer shot to win that division than some other people think. Again, the Broncos fall in right here is about being 10th team in the NFL and the Seahawks are, are down near the end. There's enough uncertainty in that one for me to not really be confident again on either side of that. But that wraps up Everything for me for week one. I hope you enjoyed this. Again, I told you will not be coming at you the rest of this week, but will be coming at you next week with a wrap up of everything that's going on. First from a news perspective, then back with Sean Clement to discuss analytics on NFL franchises. Please send me any questions you may have. You want to do uh, you know, mailbag questions throughout the offseason. I'd be more than happy to do that. I love getting interesting ideas from my listeners who are some smart NFL football dudes out there. Go ahead. Send me a tweet at Kevin Colt PFF. Leave it in a review if you're going to re- leave something on iTunes. Or go ahead and shoot me an email, kevin.cole at pff.com, and I will answer your questions on the pod. Until then, I'll be talking at everyone next week. Thank you so much, guys.